0: Good morning everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you folks again here at Boulevard. It's been uh, several years since we've been back in these parts and um, we have really seen the assembly being blessed here from what we have seen this morning and increase in numbers and families and a great mix of young and old and it's really remarkable to see and we just continue to pray that the Lord will continue to bless the work here. Now, this morning I have a, 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 a challenging sort of message, I, I, I think, anyways, I hope it will be challenging to you. It's a question that often people are, throw up to Christians as an objection to the Christian faith, and, and it really is, is this objection here. Let's see if I can get it to work. All right, let's try it one more time. There we are. So really the question is this, how can a God of love send somebody to hell who has never heard the way of salvation? Now that's often an objection that people uh, bring to us who are Christians. And and they they always throw this up, like, what about the heathen? I mean, do you really believe that a God of love is going to send somebody to hell who's never believed? How unrighteous and unjust is that? And so, that's a question that often is thrown up to Christians uh, to sort of stop us and to make us almost feel guilty for the things that we believe. Now, some of the greatest proponents of this type of idea is the likes of Richard Dawkins. And, uh, of course, there's the the, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens, who also uh, opposed the Christian message and came up with his objections to this, and many believers are are really silenced. They're shamed into silence because we haven't really been equipped with a biblical answer to some of these objections, and of course there's the other objections too we're going to talk about in a moment, is the whole idea of the exclusive message of the Christian faith. We have seen um, on the old Larry King shows how he would attack believers who believed that Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven. I remember watching him interview Joel Osteen and even Billy Graham and, uh, and really try to, to make them feel ashamed of the fact that they stood for something that exclusively cut everything else out. And they thought, well, in a tolerant society that we live in today, how can you actually believe that sort of thing? And so these are challenges to us who are Christians, and it could be that there's someone in our audience this morning, and these are things that have stumped you. You don't know really how to answer this question. And so we're going to look at some, some uh, arguments in favor of this, just to give us some help in this. Now we're going to look in our Bibles, and we'll start a reading in the book of Romans chapter 1. And we're just going to read these verses... Uh, together i'm going to read them to you i've got them written up here on the front if you don't have your bible with you you can just read it from the front i'm uh, i really like the old king james and so i'm i'm reading from that if you have another version that's fine but romans chapter one and we're going to start the reading at verse 16 and we'll read down to verse 22 for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now we trust that God will bless his word to us this morning. Now in handling this subject, I've really got four factors that I would like us to... Uh, try and keep before us. And these things will will guide us through this particular uh, subject and how to handle it. The first thing I want us to do is to get something straight right off the bat. And the question is this, is God just? Is he a just God? And I think we can say without any doubt whatsoever that the God that is presented in our Bible is a just and righteous and fair God. Now, we would be, um, we are sort of um, uh, been charged by these intellectuals that we believe in some sort of an unjust God. And the idea of becoming a a Christian is really uh, a, a really irrational way of thinking. It's not normal to think that way. It's not fair to think that way. But I would like us to see this morning from the scriptures that the Christian faith, The Christian choice of life is really the most rational, the most normal, the most sensible way of living. And that is what the scripture teaches. So the first thing that we want to understand is this, and we don't need to make any uh, arguments about this. The God that is presented in the Bible is a just and a fair God. That is absolutely true the uh, Abraham, when he was contending or when he was interceding for those people in Sodom and Gomorrah, he said this. He said, Shall not the God of all the earth do right? And the answer is inferred, Yes, he is. He will do that. And so we have confidence and know that God will absolutely always do that which is right. Now, that answer... has really been the only answer that some people can cling on to in some of the most horrific and unexplainable tragedies of life. We can't explain some of the difficulties that have happened to what we would see as innocent people, and they've encountered tremendous difficulties. And we ask ourselves the question, why God did you allow that? And the only anchor that we can hold to is this, that the God of all the earth shall do right. We don't understand. We may never understand on this side of the world. But we know this one thing and we cleave to that. In the most difficult of trying situations, that God is righteous and he will do what is right. Now that's a great anchor for a Christian to hold on to. Don't ever let go of that. God is righteous. Now, the second thing that often is uh, Christians are attacked about is the idea of the exclusive message of the gospel. We, have, we live in a world where the great buzzword is tolerant. We need to be a tolerant, forgiving society. We need to make exceptions for all the different types of people that are in the world. It doesn't matter what type of lifestyle you want to lead. If you don't hurt anybody else, we must just give you that. Uh, We must tolerate you and and accept you as being normal, etc., etc. Well, when it comes to the Christian message, we sometimes feel almost embarrassed when people say, are you the ones who believe that Jesus is the only way? Of all the billions of people on earth and all the ideas of of men, yours is the only way? Now, it sounds really arrogant, doesn't it? When you come across and say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Well, let me just say this. And I've, I've thought about this just actually early this morning. I was thinking of this. You know, when people attack us that way, just refer them back to the Bible. Because that's really where we're getting our ideas from, isn't it? And if Larry King or somebody like him was to interview you and say, well, listen, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? You might answer him back with another question and read to him, perhaps um, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where the Apostle Peter said this. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now tell me, Mr. King, what do you think that means? Or maybe you could say, perhaps even the words of the Lord Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 14, where he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father, but by me. Mr. King, what does that mean? Now, you have given them now. You've thrown it back in them to give you an answer. And anybody who logically reads the Bible will come to the very same conclusion that you and I have. And you might, they might say, well, listen, there are other interpretations. Okay, give me one. Tell me one that makes sense. When Jesus has said something so clear with simple English, I am the way. No other way. So you and I, as believers this morning, can rest assured of these two tremendous truths. That God is fair, he is righteous and just, and that there is only one way to salvation, and that is through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of that. That's what the scripture teaches. Now, how do we handle this challenge when people say, is God just in sending people to hell? Well, that... That, that's a very difficult uh, challenge, but it, it is easily explained from the passage that we just read. Now, the first thing that I want us to notice is the first factor, and that is the revelation factor. And it is this, all men have some light. All men have some light. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, he actually presents the truth of the gospel almost like an attorney. He's like the prosecuting attorney in a in, in God's courtroom. And in the dock there are the heathen. And God asks the heathen, How do you plead? And they say, Not guilty, because we never knew. We were never informed. We did not know. And so the Apostle Paul now, in this courtroom, he now has two witnesses that he calls to testify against what they are saying. And the first witness that he brings, as he calls them to the, to the witness stand, can you identify yourself? And this witness says, my name is creation. Now that is one of the greatest arguments against people who deny the fact that there is a God in heaven. The fact that there is a creation. And that was the verse that we read From verses 19 and 20. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You see, God shows himself through creation. I was thinking about that. This tremendous testimony of creation. Creation is the outward manifestation that there is a God. You know, you can look at some of these buildings that we have in this lovely state of Florida. Some of these nice skyscrapers. And and you know, when you look at an office tower and you see how it functions, you realize that there was a design behind it. You notice that... It is functional. It has an electrical system that works, we hope. It has a plumbing system that we also hope works. And uh, it's, it's functional in the sense that there are passageways leading from one side of the building to the other. And then there's an elevator or a staircase that bring, brings you from one level to the other. And you know what? You, you can see that there's a designer there. You... Admire the wisdom of, a, of, a, of an engineer and of an architect and those, that, those draftsmen that have put this all together and the builders that have manufactured this building. But I want you to think that you would have to be a lunatic to think that that building came about by an accident. What would you think of somebody if I told you, well, listen, I see that building there, and I think I know how it got there. You see, a long time ago, there was a a cement factory, and it exploded, which caused a chain reaction at a steel mill that also exploded. And bada-boom, bada-bing, there's the building. (laughs) Now, you see, um, we would say a person like that's a lunatic. is absolutely has no idea what the... And yet, that's what Richard Dawkins is trying to tell us that we're lunatics for looking at to a, a much more complex creation and to say that that speaks that there's a God in heaven. Now who's the lunatic? You tell me. Nobody in the right mind would ever say that a building came about by some sort of explosion like that. It would be impossible. We just would never believe that. We wouldn't entertain that thought because it's not rational. Now who's the rational ones? You see... So the first thing is this, the revelation factor. Now we have to move on here because our time is, 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 is not very long. The next witness that the Apostle Paul calls is he calls this person, and, 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 and what's his name? His name is conscience. The first one is creation. The second one is conscience. Now so let's look at Romans 1 again, verse 19. It says this, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. And then look, I'm going to look at Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. If you don't have it open, don't bother. I'll just read it to you. And it says this, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. So this second witness is what we know as conscience. And you know, this is something that God has weaved into the creation of every human being. This is what we would call, when the Lord Jesus said this, he said, He said, that was the true light which lighteth every man that comes into the world. That's the light of conscience. And so every human being has been given some light through creation and also through conscience. You see, I can take you into the middle of the Kalahari Desert. And we can find actual people, groups, families who have never, ever come in contact with a missionary. They've never gone to a church. They have no idea a radio. They're, they're really, really backward people. They haven't come in contact with things. And, you know, in their little family groups, they know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to sleep with another man's woman. They know it's wrong to kill. Who told them that? They never, ever read it anywhere. They learned that because God had written it right in their hearts. They know these things. It's their conscience. And thank God that God has a conscience and he's got creation that gives light to those people in the world. That's the heathen. So right away, the heathen's um, argument is starting to fall apart. Because he does know. But there is still a problem, isn't there? There is a problem in the sense that they might know that there is now a God in heaven. But they haven't heard yet about Jesus Christ or the plan of salvation. Now, we're going to look at that in a moment. That's still a challenge. But let's look at the, um, at the second factor. Second factor is this. Is the refusal factor. Light refused increases darkness. Light refused increases darkness. Now, the thing about truth is this. Truth is a... Truth is, is is liquid. Truth is, is, is something that you just can't put in your pocket and forget about it. Truth is something that requires a response from you and from me. And when God gives you truth, what do you do with it? You see, everybody responds to truth. Sometimes it's a negative response and sometimes it's a positive response. But everybody does respond to truth. And so... There are many examples of those that have turned their back to the truth. And what has happened to them is they have started to believe the lie. In other words, there is a judicial blindness that follows those who have rejected the truth of God. We have many examples of that. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter, um, chapter 2 is uh, what reminds us of those believers, or not believers, pardon me, those are people who have gone through the, into the tribulation period. They have rejected, they've heard the gospel, they have rejected it, and it says this, for this, God, for this reason, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see what happens? This is judicial blindness. If you turn your back on God's truth, you've got to be prepared for the baggage that's going to come along with it. There's going to be blindness that's going to come. Pharaoh is another example of men who have hardened their heart before God, and it's not long before you read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, God didn't do that first. Pharaoh had the choice. He was given the light, and he turned his back on the light, and he his heart became hardened. Now, the third factor... Is the reception factor. And I like this one. This is really the good news. The light obeyed increases light. Now, I believe this with all my heart that if there is a seeking sinner in the middle of the Kalahari Desert, God will bring the message to that person. It might be an airplane that has crash landed in his village. And there's a missionary on there. And he will be the one that will bring the message to it. Now you see, God rewards those that obey and listen to the truth. If you want more truth, he'll give you more truth. If there's someone in our meeting this morning and God has, re- has revealed certain things to you and, and you're still not satisfied but you want more, that's good. God's going to give it to you. And it might be here this morning that you will come to personal faith in the Lord Jesus. This is what you've been waiting for. And the time has come. Do we have answers? Do we have examples of this in the Bible where God actually does Bring the seeking sinner and the seeking Savior together. We sure do. It's lots. There's lots. Acts chapter 8 is a tremendous example of this. I love this story. I wish we had time to read it. We don't. But in Romans and Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to verse 30, it talks about the first African who became a Christian. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. He was a man who was the, the, the ministry, uh, minister of the treasury. Of the Queen of Ethiopia, and you know what? He was a seeking man, he was looking for truth, and he heard about the God of the Jews, and he made his way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, and he wanted to find the truth, and he was exposed to the God of the, the, the God of jehovah, and there he he bought a, he bought a scroll, the Book of Isaiah. And you know what? He was traveling home back to Ethiopia. And he was so hungry for the word. And he was reading. He was sitting in his chariot, reading the Bible, reading Isaiah 53. And you know what happened? There was a revival in another province called Samaria. And there was an evangelist there by the name of Philip. And you know what? This great revival, he was seeing hundreds saved. And God said to Philip, you know what, man? There's a little black man down there on the road on his way to Ethiopia. I want you to go and preach to him. And you know what? He did. And he left that revival. He left that place of blessing. And he went, one lonely guy, down to this this desert road. And you just read that story and and the, the, the coincidences that are falling into place are just incredible. That you have to believe that God had organized this. And here... Philip, he sees him, this guy reading, and you know what he's reading? Isaiah 53, just at that very time, and they met on the very road, and, 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 he, and he says nicely, he says, do you understand what you read? And he says, no, I don't, but can you help me? And he sits up with him, and you know what he said? He, he, from the very same scriptures, he preached unto him Jesus. I love that. He preached unto him Jesus. You see, a seeking sinner, and a seeking Savior will always meet. God commissioned an evangelist from, a, from a, a revival and brought him into the middle of the desert to see this man saved. There's other examples. Cornelius, one of the first Gentiles. Here he was also, a man who wasn't saved, but he had a love for the truth. He wanted more truth, and God commissioned Peter. Peter to go into this man's house and he preached the gospel to him and this man and his family got saved. You see, God brings seeking sinners and seeking saviors together because they respond positively to the light. The reception factor. Light obeyed increases light. This morning light has shone from God's word. It's shone into your heart. How have you responded to it? Have you turned your way, turned away from it? Because you know it's, it pricks your heart. It troubles you. Because we all get it that way. We all feel the same way. Why? Because we're sinners. And don't feel that you're any different. That you are more ashamed than the other guy. Listen, these, these elders that are up here. Who, who are going into the, mission, into the homes of the believers. and, and, and They're just sinners. Saved by grace. And they're just seeking to encourage God's people. And, and you know what? You're just, you're no different than they are. You're just not saved yet. You're not forgiven yet. But God is willing to make you a child of God through his son, the Lord Jesus, the only one who can, who, who can save people today. Now, we do have another point, which is probably fairly sobering and it is this it is the reckoning factor you see when we uh, when we don't respond favorably to the gospel God is going to hold us accountable for the light that we have I often think of the solemn the, the, the solemn thought of young people who are raised in Christian homes that is a tremendous place of opportunity and blessing. But with it also carries a tremendous, tremendous responsibility. Because you have been given light that is so rich and so bright. And to reject that is a tremendous sacrifice that you will never, ever, ever be able to to fully appreciate what you've done. There was a a city in the life of the Lord Jesus that was called Capernaum. It was a a city that the Lord withdrew to with his disciples after Nazareth. He went to Capernaum and, and he worked amongst that city. They witnessed his miracles. They witnessed his messages. They witnessed his sermons. They witnessed his life. They witnessed all of this stuff. And they, they, they were exposed to tremendous light. And one day, the Lord Jesus, he was praying. And he said this, he said, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. You see, what he is saying is this. We know Sodom was a wicked, wicked city. We know that. And God judged them for their wickedness. But the Lord Jesus said this. You know what? Had my works that were done in Capernaum, if that was done in Sodom that city would have repented and they would have been existing today. But because you, Capernaum, you rejected, you'll be brought down to hell. Now, you see, those are somber, sober words for us this morning. You see, the question really is not so much, it really is not so much, what will God do with those who have not heard? The question really is this morning is this. What will, do, what will God do with those who have? And this morning you have heard. You have understood and you've heard the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he bled and died at Calvary. And that God is a just God. And he's not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. He loves you and has done everything in his power to save you. But he can't push you over the edge. God loves you that much that he respects you. That you have a free will. And he wants you to make that choice. This morning you have that choice. To respond to the offer of God's mercy. Would you like to receive him? If you would. This evening I'm going to. This morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And while we pray together. You might want to say words something like this. Lord Jesus I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve eternal death. And I'm thankful this morning that I've heard that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And I want to receive him this morning into my heart. If you pray that prayer, I can tell you, if you meant it, I can tell you that you have been transformed into the kingdom of God's dear son. You're a part of the family of God. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we would just humble our hearts in your presence. And we would just remember these special truths from God's word. We're thankful for it. And Lord, we pray that it would help us to grow as Christians. We think of the darkness in the world that we live in. We think of how we as believers have often been ashamed of the gospel. But we thank thee that the Apostle Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation this morning our father we pray for your blessing upon us we pray for each one that's here and we thank father of someone that's here for perhaps who's still a stranger to your grace we pray father that you would in your mercy just wrap them up in your arms and reveal your great love to them and grant that they might put their faith in the Lord Jesus we give thanks now for our time together And we ask your blessing on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.